0: Sal? Yeah? Why can't, why can't people just cucumber and, and that all by themselves? I don't understand. You don't understand why people can't cucumber by themselves? Why, why, what, why not?
1: Well, you know, sometimes do you ever get that thing when you like, you've written your scenarios and you just look at them or you've, or you've got a problem and you're like, I just don't know how to express this.
2: I'm in a right pickle.
1: Hey. <laughs> I'm in a right pickle with McGurkin. <laughs> exactly. Um, so 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 that's why and and now I think you can just access the cucumber team like the cucumber team.
0: yeah. but Sal, aren't they aren't they those cucumber people aren't they really, really in demand? and you have to get them like helicopters to fly them into wherever you are like how how can i honest how can how can i possibly afford to have them spend time with me well now
1: now there's this amazing thing called clinic and you can just go on and you can send your gherkin in advance and they can have a little look and write some comments and then um, you can get a personalized call with one of the core team and all you need to do to, is go to www.cucumber.io and look for clinic
2: or you can go to clinic.cucumber.io
1: Ooh, there's like two options and everything.
0: Hey, are you trying to sell me something? I've just realised. I think you're trying to sell <laughs> me something. dollars Matt, and you can have a half-hour call oh. yourself.
1: Yeah. Oh, Tiki.
0: <laughs> that does sound amazing.
1: <gasps> Clinic.
0: Go. Welcome. To the Cucumber Podcast. My name is Matt Wynne, and one of the immense privileges of running this podcast is that every now and again I get to speak to some people who are my heroes. Um, unfortunately, this week though we've only got uh, <laughs> some some guys called Ron Jeffries and and Chet, Hen- Chet Hendrickson. Um, so why why have we invited these two on? Who are they?
1: <laughs> so so. Uh... Oh, I'm sure everybody knows this already but uh, Ron's one of the creators of the Agile Manifesto Chet I believe is the first signatory ever of the Agile Manifesto and um, Ron and Chet are still very much practitioners and active parts of the community um, also I really really appreciated the fact that they're quiet champions for diversity and inclusion which is a massive passion of myself personally but most of all whenever I speak to them or whenever I listen to them or whenever I read anything that they've written down I learn something new so I'm really curious to just find out what I can learn from them today really.
0: Yeah great so where are we going to start? Where are we going to start? I mean there's so many things we could talk to you two about. Um, Obviously uh, the, the big A agile is something that that you guys were really uh, responsible for kicking off, and it 's been a long time now, so do you want to just like give us a quick look back on that and what you think has been good since since those heady early days and what's not been so good and yeah what what are your kind of reflections on on all those years
3: it seemed to me that at the time we did this that I had great hopes that the world was going to become transformed, that the relationship between uh, uh, software developers and uh, the people who used them to build products or used them to build internal things or whatever, that that relationship was going to be uh, much improved, that the productivity of programming was going to increase, that the happiness of both programmers and people on the business side uh, would be increased, and that probably, as a result, world peace would come about. And as it happens, none of that has really happened. And I think it's
4: all our fault. I think that, that certainly where we expected the world to be nearly 20 years on is not where we've ended up, uh, which is not really surprising because that's never how the w- world works. Uh, but we are seeing some things that bother us. And, and in fact, we just spoke about that uh, yesterday at, at the Discover Deliver, Deliver Agile Conference, uh, where the the title of our talk was, uh, what was the the title of our talk? Developers Should Abandon Agile. Developers Should Abandon Agile, uh, which I then added, uh, before it abandons you. (laughs) Uh, And and in fact, we kind of think that's too late. We we believe that Agile has abandoned developers, uh, that it's turned into a, a thing that is owned by management, uh, by uh, people who don't see developers as a a first-class member of their organization, Uh, so much so so that we often see uh, development being done in uh, places that are thousands of miles away from where the people the business care about are. Hmm. Uh, We treat them as as meat widgets, as, as interchangeable, uh, components uh, and we get what we get, almost always because of that. And, and we believe that that it's time for developers uh, to take back agile.
2: Is th- this sounds very similar but what you're describing? Sounds very similar to what the situation was like before agile yeah. was invented. Yes. Is, is there a
4: difference? And th- and that makes us sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we, we see a little bit of change around the world, but I don't know that it was 100% positive, certainly not 100%. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if the sign of the change was positive or negative. Uh, as I, I like to say that back when I first started doing software, back when I had hair, uh, I'd get something that I could work on. I was given something to do. And it might take weeks or maybe even a month or so to build something. And along the way, I might have to tell somebody kind of how things were going every week or so. Uh, But now we have Scrum. And every day I have to stand up at 9.30 and confess everything I did over the past 24 hours and everything I predict I'm going to do over the next 24 hours. And I don't think that's what that meeting's about, really. I don't think that's what we had in mind. Uh, And and so we we believe that that no matter whose fault this is, and I believe you can look lots of places and find fault, that the solution has to come from us developers because we're not doing the things that XP is built upon, which is say what you're going to do and then actually do it.
3: We showed that when we started our uh, chat uh, with the gang yesterday, we showed two little charts that we think represent what goes on with Agile. Uh, One of them was what we think the impact of Agile is on the business. And we think that even if you don't do it very well, the business makes a little bit of progress, that they start out a little happier because at least they begin to see uh, what's happening, they interact with the developers more, and that we think that in general most people who undertake Scrum or some other uh, allegedly Agile method the business side will be happy and we think that when you start out doing agile as a developer your life gets worse the way that Chet just described which is that you get less time to do your work and more time to have people uh, putting pressure on you so it's uh, as Chet says we think that the reaction to that needs to be for the developers to learn how to take it on themselves really to learn how to do development in such a way that they can survive the situation. Uh, uh, there's not much support for that uh, in the business community. Nobody wants to send their, all their developers to actually learn how to do test-driven development or refactoring and so on. Um, and so what what we think has to happen is that we've got to find ways for the development community to almost literally sever itself from the current Agile uh, thinking and start thinking about what we call Agile software development, which is not what uh, Scrum and the other methods are really all about at all. But,
4: but if you look at what happened you know, a couple weeks ago, three four weeks ago, was the Scrum gathering in Minneapolis here in the US. And there were 1,300 Scrum Masters yeah. there. Uh, we just had the Deliver Agile, the Agile Alliance Technical Conference in Austin, uh, just ended yesterday, and we had 300 developers. If you know anything about a Scrum team, you're supposed to have one Scrum master and six to nine developers. And I don't think what we just said, the 1,300 to 300, any, represents that uh, ratio in any reasonable way. Hmm. Uh, There's been 600,000 or so people gone through uh, certified Scrum Master training, a couple hundred thousand through product owner training, and the number of folks who've gone through the Scrum Alliance's developer training uh, would fit in the backseat of a large American car.
3: There are actually 42 certified Scrum Masters for every single certified Scrum developer.
0: And I don't know much about the, the certified Scrum developer, but once somebody's come through that, are they pretty much uh, sort of addicted to TDD? Are they going to be doing software development the way that, that we, we would like to see it done?
4: Well, well like all of these things, they are an introduction to mm. these things. You know, we, we, in a three- or five-day uh, developer course, we can show you what these things are. We can show you what happens when you do them and, and teach you a few things about how it's supposed to work uh, in the same sort of way that in a two day CSM course, we can teach you two days worth of stuff about Scrum. Uh, you know, all of those things are, are uh, learners permits, They're yeah. a, a license to get on the road and learn how to do the rest of the stuff. And sometimes maybe you should have a parent in the car with you.
1: So, I have a question because you've used two different between the both of you. You've used two, you've used two different words that, that to me mean something quite different. So, one of them is abandon agile, and the other is reclaim agile, both for kind of developers. So, do you think so? I'm interested to know really, is it um, have we got to a moment where it's actually just you know abandon everything to do with agile, start from scratch, or do you think um, reclaiming? the original essence of the practices and, and is is actually more useful than just abandoning and, and, and kind of completely severing.
3: I believe that reclaim is out of the question impossible. that the popularity of agile in uh, the business world, the forces of the companies that are, doing their best to do real Agile, which I think probably the Scrum Alliance is probably trying to do something they consider real Agile, and the ones who are not trying to do something that is real Agile, which might be uh, the people who sell products like Jira and Rally and such, um, I believe that they, have, that they own that space and that, that we need to build a, a, an approach which, in fact, reclaims the practices and values that you talk about that says uh, that, that takes us back to understanding what those are, and brings us forward to the understanding that we have today. Because, as you guys know, there are products and things out there now that that we're not there then, and there are ways of working now that are that are far better than what we had then. Uh, people now know how to chip real live customer code multiple times a day, and so on. Um, but that what, but that what kind of really needs to happen, and of course, we, we're saying this uh, emphatically for, for effect, but what really needs to happen, I think, is that developers need to operate in a mode of saying, we are going to be placed into one of these agile environments. There were quote marks there that you cannot see. Um, and we need, as developers, to understand how to develop software in such a way that we will thrive in that environment now i don't really want developers and business people to be in conflict but i think the developers have to take back the responsibility to know these things to know the, the agile practices as the as the developer side of agile has has uh, has promulgated but i don't i would not like to see developers saying That they're part of scrum or that they're part of safe or that they're part of less or they're part of anything i think software developers have to go back to being part of software development and that's pretty harsh for a guy that wrote wrote i was there when the manifesto was written and i think that's that's kind of a harsh way to put it but i really do not see a trend that's making the world better for software developers and as kent beck once said he got into the business to make the world better for software development
2: I'm I'm am really reminded um, about a conversation I had with Woody Zool now, and um, he was t- t- telling me about I think uh, the Systems Bible by John Galt, and he was talking about steady state systems, and steady state systems um, get disrupted. You give them a big push, right? And unless you keep Pushing, unless you keep disrupting them, they kind of swing back to where they were. And this conversation that we're having—it sounds to me like XP and Agile and Scrum at the start, and all of that was the the, the disruption, the big push to the, the the steady state of software development. But maybe we haven't kept pushing, and with what you're talking about, is we've
4: come back to that steady state of where it was before. I think that's a good way of looking at it. That that uh, uh, our power to push. Is, is rather limited that the power of the other people to, to cause it to go back to base course. Uh, it overwhelms the power of the software developers uh, because that's just the nature of, of the the universe that we work in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we might have to find a way to do the things that we know are right uh, without those folks noticing us. Uh, years ago, someone once asked one of our people—I don't think it was Ron or I—but they asked somebody, uh, uh, "How do we convince our bosses to to let us do pair programming or test room development or one of those things?" And uh, and and they said, "Well, just do it because they don't know what you're doing now anyway, and therefore you should have the the courage to go off and do the right thing." Because your boss really doesn't know how you do your job now. Uh, particularly if they're some number of time zones away from you. Uh, they certainly don't know what, how you're doing your job. And and what we have to do is is find ways of telling folks and, and encouraging people to to spend time to learn how to do this work in such a way that you're not inviting those folks to come in and manage you. And we believe the basic ideas of XP uh, allowed us to do that uh, because it allows us to say this is what we're going to do and then do it at a very high level of quality in a very repeatable sort of way. Uh, if you're not doing that, then you're inviting someone to come along and, and manage you in some way, to pull you up by the roots and find out what's going on. Well, this is really an upbeat talk, isn't it?
3: <laughs> I would argue that this is fantastically upbeat because what it's about is it's about software developers owning the responsibility to do their job well and to do it in such a way that no matter what kinds of management you get, you will be able to thrive. If you get horrible draconian management, you can still live as well as you possibly can by producing quality software on a regular basis that does what you said it would do. And if by some strange chance that doesn't help these people understand that it's time to be more responsive and to pay more attention to what should we do next instead of the big plan, it'll be even better. And if you accidentally found yourself in in an organization that was doing agile with quotes around it in the way that the agile with quotes around it people say you should do it, it would be fantastically good. And so I don't think it's a negative notion to say break away from the stuff that is agile today, do the job really, really well, and maybe agile will come around and join you. And if it doesn't, you'll still be doing your job really, really well. I think there's quite a lot of uh, soft, you know, organizations
2: out there where, where management, uh, you know, they they uh, they they manage the developers. You know the developers feel like they work in some sort of tyranny where they don't have freedom to do agile properly or XP or whatever. You know, but but I also think there's probably many organizations where developers do have a lot of freedom, um, but they don't want to do XP because or, or, or agile. You know, they want they don't want to pair programming. They don't want to do test-driven development, um, and they might even have, you know, managers that tell you that, that they should do it. But they—they, they, my impression is that young developers and you know people who are in their twenties, um, they—they perceive these things as as old-fashioned, as you know, it doesn't work.
4: Well, you know, I, I don't think that Ron and I uh, uh, really care. If these folks are doing these exact things or not, if they have found a better way mm-hmm. to achieve the things that we achieved with those 13 practices 20some years ago, right, that would be wonderful. Yeah If they can produce day after day, week after week, month after month, uh, a software yeah. that does exactly what it's supposed to do uh, on time, on budget, uh, with a mi- minuscule amount of defects in it uh, using different techniques, I would like to go there and have them teach me how to do that. Uh, but if you're producing stuff right. that that doesn't work, that it takes you twice as long to build as you said it was going to, uh, that that a feature that you add today... Cost way more than if you'd added it last week. Then those folks have things they need to be learning. Uh, and
1: so that kind of leads me onto a question that that was brewing for me and all of that, which is, so so, are there things that you see that give you hope in this? Are they like what are the kind of things that you're seeing and thinking? Oh, actually, that's that that does seem like that that's um taking you know what was originally there that's kind of moving it forward that's changing things that's uh, that's that software development practices
3: i think this is actually a very hopeful message the message is as developers we will thrive if we do our jobs well and the uh Nobody in management, to the the earlier question, nobody in management should be telling programmers to do test-driven development. Nobody in management should be telling programmers to do pair programming. What you're supposed to do, it says right there in the manifesto, is create self-organizing teams and let them figure out how to do the work. Now, they need help, they need education, and so on. Um, Our experience with uh, developers with not just a couple of years of experience, but even five and 10 years of experiences, many of them don't even write very good code. Now, I probably thought I was writing really good code 40 years ago or whenever it was, that I was only 10 years into this, but I wasn't. Um, And I learned at the beginning of this agile era where I had been programming already for 35 years, that I didn't know how to write really good code because I met some people who knew how to write some really, really, really good code, and I began to learn from that, and now I would say I probably write pretty good code. So I think this is a this is a, a call for developers to look to their own community and to look toward their own future to do good stuff, and that if they can really do that, if they can write reliable code on kind of on the clock, not not to say that you get to tell me when I'll be done, but that if I say I can do this in two days, which is about the maximum time, that I can do it in two days. And that when I give it to you, it works. And when I give it to you, it's integrated. And when I give it to you, uh, it's fully tested. And when I change it, I don't break it. If I can do that, I can thrive anywhere. I think that's brilliant. And I think it's actually a lot better than imagining that what's going to make my life better is to have a product owner and a scrum master in the room uh, talking to me.
0: Just don't call it software craftsmanship because we don't need that for a brand for this I, I I get what you're talking about. I like this as a rallying cry.
3: We are having a little trouble with that brand, um, and I think it, I think that's coming about for more than one reason. Yeah. One is that apparently the word the word "mun." In craftsmanship, um, means something different to some people than others, and that's—I think that just has to be accommodated. I, I think it's—I uh, think it's unfortunate that people hear discrimination in a word that's hundreds and hundreds of years old, but it represents systemic discrimination from hundreds and hundreds of years. So I think the word is bad, uh, not because it's a bad word, but because half the population of the world doesn't hear it right.
4: I I don't believe I'd say that half the population doesn't hear it right. Well, Well, I I suppose that depends on which half you're talking about. (laughs) It may be that we're the half that doesn't hear it right, Ron and I. And
3: yeah, I think there probably there is no right in this. The point is that the word doesn't work for everyone, and the word's bad, uh, therefore. But I think that in addition, there are problems within that that community.
0: There's something interesting about this, though, as well. I think um, I, I know. Like uh, Sarah, Sarah May wrote the the tweet the other day about um, about privilege and and so on. In um, there were some interesting thoughts in that thread, and I know you chipped in on it, Ron, a little bit as well. And one of the things that strikes me when I hear you talking about you both of you talking about developers kind of standing up for themselves and kind of holding their ground about what what quality means and what it means to do a good job is that. Well, I mean, I've so I have an experience from a, a lot earlier in my career where I actually got fired for doing TDD because I was being too slow, um, which, you know, I was fortunate enough that uh, it was it was quite a, quite a blow at the time. But I was fortunate enough that I was able to find another job and and carry on and kind of stick to my principles um, and find an environment where, you know, that kind of thing was valued rather than actually it was a, an environment that wasn't valuing that kind of thing. Um, but I think there's a. There's a there's, it's easy to make an assumption. I think for those of us who are those kind of like belligerent characters that will go into organisations and try and change them, that um, everybody is prepared to take those kinds of risks and sort of and stand up for themselves in that way. And actually, a lot of the developers I meet maybe would be quite afraid to set those boundaries in such a courageous way. I mean, what, what do you guys think about that?
4: It's you know uh, we Ron and I have certainly have a great deal of of privilege in that we're able to say what we want to say and can be relatively inured against any feedback. Uh, We're both old. Uh, Ron has essentially decided that no one has enough money that would cause him to leave his house and go someplace and work. Uh, I try to act as if that is the case for me. <laughs> uh, but that doesn't really matter. Uh, uh, we should all ha- find ways to be courageous enough to, to do that. Uh, I, I often tell the story of my younger sister, Beth, who was a software developer for an American uh, big box store, Home Depot. I don't know if you have Home Depot over where you are. They sell two by fours. And, yeah, it's B&Q know, it? in it the, in the UK, I but know. I know
0: who you mean. B&Q. I don't know what it stands for.
4: Okay. Well, she, she was on a team that uh, ran systems that maintained the store catalog. There's a computer at every store, and it has the price of everything on it. And so they updated those prices every night when the store was closed electronically across. And she had just had her second daughter, uh, uh, Bridget, who's graduating from college this weekend. Uh, and she said, uh, it, uh, because of the way their software ran, when it ran, they, they had a pager. And some they rotated through the group, and every Friday they swapped who had the pager. And it was Beth's turn to have the pager, and she said, I'm not going to take the pager home anymore. Because it goes off just after I get Bridget to sleep and I'm almost asleep and it goes off and, I, and it's ruining my life. And she said, I don't care if I come back on Monday, but I'm not taking the picture home anymore. And she, you know, she here she was in her late 20s, two children, uh, a husband who had a good job as well, but she didn't mind not coming back on Monday because she knew if she needed a Hmm. job, she could find one. Uh, and maybe we should always act that way. That, that life's too short Hmm. to live that way. You know, we didn't go to school all these years, uh, uh, to work that way. Uh, and so I try to live as if I don't care whether I have to come back on Monday or not. Yeah. Uh, but there's some pagers I'm not going to take home.
3: Uh, <laughs> now I would say that that, as as was pointed out, not everybody is able to feel that way. Not everybody is uh, either has the freedom to do that. Some of us uh, live pretty much hand to mouth and really couldn't afford to lose their job for two weeks. Um, and therefore, I don't think we are demanding that we're not demanding anything, but we're certainly not demanding that all developers should go and be in people's face about how they develop software. On the other hand, it is also the case, and I wanted to reflect on this, Jipaw um, Hill has a series of video things that he's been putting out lately. Mm, and really good. One of the most excellent ones is the one in which he says, and I happen to agree with him, that microtesting, as he calls it, or test-driven development, is the fastest way he knows to develop software that works. So it is an odd uh, experience to work with TDD because it feels like one is going very slowly, but when one is doing it well, one actually is producing software faster than one would if one wrote it and then debugged it for the rest of uh, the month. Now, of course, if it doesn't have to work, you can develop it without TDD pretty readily. I always like to say that if it doesn't have
4: to work, I'm done now. Exactly. <laughs> Which may be what Matt uh, should have told them.
0: The, the hard part, though, is learning the TDD. So the, yeah. so honestly, the, the, that job that I was in where, where I got in trouble, I was still learning how to do TDD. And it was slower for me to write tests and figure out how to write tests, um, for that, especially for that technology stack, and write the code than it was actually for me to just do it the way I already knew, which was to write the code, keep pressing F5 in my browser, and testing it that way. It was slower. It was slower because I was learning how to do TDD while I was doing TDD. And I think this is the the place where we need to start to bridge the relationship with the business again, because the business need to recognize that they're going to have to make that investment in their people. They're going to have to buy the developers that space to learn a new skill so they can level up.
2: I I don't think I've ever met anyone who 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 taught themselves TDD without having somebody you know teach them. I I tried for a couple of years. I moved to another country because I wanted to learn TDD so bad. How
3: <laughs> on, oh, because TDD
2: won't grow where you originally were. <laughs> it's not allowed in Norway. <laughs> it was in, it, it it was it was in two thousand two thousand and two in Norway. You know nobody had heard of it.
3: I wish that I wish that all. Uh, companies would invest in their programmers and I observe Mm. that many do not, particularly large companies do not invest in their programmers now I also think that uh, many of us uh, all of us you know probably all of us here um, have been privileged enough to get some support from companies and to be free enough to be able to learn things and have enough money somehow to be able to study things and buy books and stuff. Um, And that not everybody has that level of privilege. I believe that the community, and I think I mostly mean the development community, needs to find ways to bring ourselves Mm -hmm. up and to bring up our brothers and sisters, even the ones who can't take much time or spend much money to do things. Um, There are some fantastic resources on the web now for... Test-driven development. What there are not are interactive ways where you could get onto the internet and one of these uh, forums or one or a or a chat group or something and actually pair with someone to do it. But I think we have to find ways to do that because uh, of this thing I call dark agile or dark scrum, which is that some big component of the agile installations is really oppressing, uh, the programmers. Um, we have visited a number of what I call the insurance mines of Ohio, um, which have huge buildings full of programmers who never get to see a window. Uh, I believe some of them are not even allowed to have windows in their automobiles and they, <laughs> they work in literally in the bowels of these corporations in, tiny rooms packed with programmers and probably animals of some kind, I don't know, and they don't get a lot of support. Mm. I think we have to find ways to do that. Now, I'm arguing and I will continue to argue that organizations uh, that are making a lot of money selling business agile should be concerned about this um, and that they should be investing some of the money they make back into making sure that developers are successful because business agile is not going to work if it doesn't work and if if it if we get the ex, if people had decent expectations about it they would say well this isn't working and they would, might figure out that it's because the programmers don't know how to do it and so on so i think that we have to do this somehow as a community of developers and people who, who care about developers uh, because i'm of the opinion that we can't trust the corporation to do it. They just, uh, for their own reasons. And I don't think, I'm not saying they're evil. I'm just saying they won't do it.
2: But, but if it's, but if doing it is so beneficial, isn't that just going to, um, you know, isn't that just going to resolve itself that, you know, the successful companies, well, in order to be successful, you have to do it. And if, you know, if you don't do it, you won't be successful.
1: I think, I think there's like that sometimes, um, because of maybe programmers being oppressed or whatever, that we've got into this mode where people do feel like they have to ask permission. They feel like they do have to say, um, can I pair or, or is it okay to use these new techniques and stuff? And I remember like, I think it might've even been Ron and Chet when I was, um, it might've been you, you guys who said it, I can't absolutely remember, but, but, um, having someone ask a question, well, how do I persuade my product owner to allow me to spend time refactoring? And the answer was, it's not really like their business, how you do the craft of programming, the job of programming, right? That's the due diligence of the development team. And so when they say, here's a piece of work, then when you think about that piece of work, you think about it in its entirety, including refactoring, including TDD, including anything that you know that's going to be the best way of doing it, but that somehow those two things have got a bit embroiled, and, and, and I think programmers more feel like they have to ask permission now, which is kind of odd. I think,
4: that's, I think you're right. It, it seems odd that we ask permission, require, we, we believe we have to have permission to do good work. Uh, you know, I believe that on the first day of a new Greenfield project, the code base is perfect. It does absolutely nothing and it does it in zero lines of code. There's no bugs. There's no defects. It's beautiful. Perfect. And every time we add a feature, our job is to get it back (laughs) as close as we can to that level of perfection (laughs) so that whatever we do next, would be as if it was the first thing we ever did, and therefore we didn't have any of these constraints on us. Uh, imagine working that way, that everything I did was at like the first line of code I wrote in this file, in this project. Uh, that's what we want to get to. And, and that's what the craft is, uh, is learning how to get back to that point before I say, okay, I'm done with this.
0: So one of the things I think is is hard for a developer is that very often the the mess that you make and that takes you away from that, that place of perfection where where you were on on the first day is not obvious to you until maybe some time after you've made it right so you you make some decisions and you live with them for a while and then you start to realize hey like i really regret that decision i would like to rework that code and yet yeah, you're responsible for that decision or you as a team are responsible for it and it's there's there's something difficult i think again about like having courage and where you, maybe you feel like you need to ask for permission is to say to be able to say like that stuff i did a month ago i'm kind of embarrassed about it now and i wish i hadn't done it that way and i would like some time to change it around to this other thing which i think would be better and that actually probably does need to be a little bit of a give and take decision with with a someone who can help prioritize because it's should we spend a week reworking that stuff that i wish we hadn't done and do it differently or should we carry on kind of living with the with the annoyance of it slowing us down slightly for a little while longer i think those they can be healthy conversations to have, right?
3: I want to say that that is the wrong question. It is the case that often uh, a week later or a, a month later, we realize that this particular code isn't ideal and that it needs to be changed. And that the question isn't should I change it and spend a bunch of time changing it or should I live with it? The question is. How can I change this code as part of the work of delivering new features? Once the the campground is dirty, the Boy Scouts don't always go in and spend a month cleaning up the campground. They leave the campground a little bit better every time they use it. And that's what refactoring is really about. Spending a week to change the design of this code isn't refactoring. Spending a week to change this uh, code is the word you used, reworking. Yeah. And that's a different thing. So here, just as with TDD, um, there is a need to build up a skill in doing tiny micro changes that improve the code. Um, so that when it does deviate from what we now realize is it would be better that we don't stop all work and slam it back into into place. instead, we just bear down a little bit and we make it better and we make it better and we make it better and we, it better and we bring it back. Um, if you think about what happens with a, with a code base that's pretty grubby, you don't really have to fix all of it. And there are parts of it that you should probably leave alone forever because you're never going to mm-hmm. edit there anyway. So if we clean up the code, we actually must edit to do things. We can begin to do that a lot more incrementally and then we don't have to ask. And I don't want people to ask permission to do a reworking because it is, as you were alluding to, almost impossible for the business people to make a sensible decision about that because they have features in mind and features are worth revenue or features are worth happy users. And all we have in mind if we're going to do a refactoring is cost, we're going to take a week off and refactor, followed by this sort of belief that, yeah, but if after we do that, everything will be better and, and we'll go faster. Uh, that's a decision that no one should have to make. So here again, it is about building up a level of skill that uh, is above what we what we have when we don't really know how to refactor. And, what, did you, did and you pairing a TV? level of skill that will take years probably well, to get yeah, really good it, at. Yeah. But that's the goal we have to set for because rework is always these? too expensive. One slice of that skill
4: has to do with, is, with noticing
3: yeah. very yeah. early yeah.
4: that the design isn't what you want it to have been. If, if you build something and you keep building on top of it, and keep building on top of it, and then you discover, well, the original idea was not quite the right one, then it becomes often difficult to do that. But if you notice it really quickly, and that's one of the advantages of, of TDD, is you have somebody there poking you and saying, that thing we just did not as good as it needed to have been. Here's a better way we could have done that, and let's fix it when it's 20 lines of code before it gets to be 20,000.
1: And I'm just going to wave the diversity flag here as well because I think there's something to be said, especially if you've been like a stable team over time, and I know this is some of what what we've talked about at the cucumber team is that you stop noticing things a little while after a little while. You kind of, you know, maybe something's a bit grubby, but you go, we'll live with it today. We'll live with it next week. And, and you keep living with it. And then you forget that it's grubby because you're also used to it. And then someone like me comes along <laughs> and go, well, hang on a minute. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? This looks yes. funny. Why is that so wrong? Why is that so? And that diversity, I think having that in the mix when we can get a bit mm-hmm. hive mindy about it can really help too.
4: And, and as I've been thinking about diversity, around the crafts, whatever ship, <laughs> craft <clears throat> discussion. I, I remember back 20 some years ago at Chrysler, uh, working with Ann Anderson. who was one of the co-authors of the Pink Book with Ron and I. And, uh, she would come up with ways of doing things that made sometimes no sense to me at all <clears throat> because she was thinking about the problem in a completely different way than I was thinking about it. And that was good because having a team that all think the same, well, you have one brain and a whole lot of hands and that's not as good as uh, a one brain for every pair of hands. And so you want to have people who think about problems differently than you, than you do, who see the world differently than you do. And sometimes it's, it's a little bit disconcerting, uh, but it's good. the 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 value of that way exceeds the little bit of confusion we have yeah. when somebody comes at the problem from a completely different direction. Uh, and <clears throat> we get that at all, completely different levels. We get that with all kinds of diversity, where it comes from experience and skill and gender. And all the different kinds of things we can think about, and so good teams have all those things. Uh, G. Paul Hill's talk on Monday, I think it was at at uh, Deliver Agile, was about thinking about those kinds of things that that you you collaborate with people because they think differently than you do. Because if they think the same way you did, then you don't need the collaboration.
0: Yeah, and this is one of the things I talk about a lot with people about why I love. BDD or ATDD as you, as you guys call it over there, um, the, the, um, the pushing the, the, um, uncertainty, the discovery of the uncertainty that you've, that you have when you start writing an acceptance test together before you've written the code and all of that flushing out of potential misunderstandings and different perspectives that happens there. Like when you see, I, the, when it reveals that I see this differently to how you see this, Like that gap there, that's where there's magic, right? There's power in that in that gap between my perspective and your perspective. There's there's power there to be harnessed, and kind of taking that gap with approaching that gap with curiosity rather than with sort of I want to win the argument, I want to be right. um, Is is maybe yeah? Is is part of the kind of skill that that we all need to learn.
4: Yes, collaboration is really about creating knowledge that didn't exist in either one of your heads, or, yeah. or ever how many heads were involved. Uh, but building in that gap something that was better than either one of us had, uh, that, that, that
3: makes our understanding of the problem much more rich. A thing that I wonder about often is how much of the uh, conflict and, and often almost oppression that comes from young male programmers and maybe older male programmers as well, how much of that fighting to be right instead of collaborating to be more right is actually coming from fear? Yeah. Uh, That I have to fight for my idea because it might be wrong. Um, If if my idea is right, I certainly will argue for it, and I do because I enjoy talking, but... um, I think that as developers gain broader experience and become more calm in their, in their confidence of the things they know and the things that they don't know and they're okay with that, the better they do. Um, I'm reminded of Ward Cunningham who will, if you ask him a question about how do you do this with Java or some, something, he'll certainly tell you. But if you're working on something with him, um, and you're trying to figure it out. He will almost never give an answer. He will ask you a question that will help you discover the answer in yourself. And they aren't—they don't even feel like leading questions. They're just questions that cause you to think about the subject maybe a little different way. And all of the time, uh, after a time, you. You say, We should do this, and he kind of nods, knowing probably all along that you should have done that. Um, I pride myself on the fact that I was at one time uh, in one exchange so dumb. The ward had to actually tell me something. <laughs> <laughs> he gave up.
0: You you tested his patience to the limit. He kept talking
3: about how you do, how to do this and how this thing went on and on and on. And he finally realized <laughs> that there was an idiom in Swall Talk that I did not know. And he said, "Do you know how to write an interpreter in Swall Talk?" And I said, "I guess not." And he said this, and he wrote the. Three characters it takes to write a, An interpreter in Swallowing said this, and I was like, "Oh!" And I was enlightened. And then you know, then we went on. But he he never finds it necessary to argue for his idea, um, and he never he almost never finds it necessary to give you an idea. Instead, he helps you find that idea in yourself. And uh, I I wish I could do that, but I can't. Um, but I think that confidence that comes from confidence that he's absolutely sure that it doesn't matter if we go off on the wrong track for a while, we'll be back. Um, and I think if we can find ways to, to make both junior programmers who may feel oppressed more confident, but also the, the nominally more senior or whiter or mailer uh, programmers uh, confident enough that they don't mind going off the track for a while. Um, one of the techniques we, we uh, like to tell people in pair programming, um, people will say, well, all right, if you're pair programming, what do you do? If your pair has an idea and you've got a different idea, um, how do you proceed? And I always say, tell them that we'll try theirs first. Because only two things can happen. One is it'll work just fine, and then you're like, okay, you were the good guy, you let them try theirs first and it was really brilliant, you can say, hey, that was really brilliant. Or it won't work. In which case, you can try yours. So it's a it's win win, and let the other person exercise their ideas to the maximum. You can't lose at it. You can only win.
0: Wonderful. We're getting really deep there, talking about fear and stuff. This is uh, this is great, um, inspirational. We're we're at the end of the hour, so um, I I want to kind of call us uh, call us together. Um, if, if, uh, if I am one of those developers stuck in the, the bowels of a, uh, what did you say, the insurance mines of Ohio, what what can you say to me? like What can I do tomorrow when I go to work? I'm driving into work now, in fact, um, and you've got me really riled up. What should I do today?
3: Uh, while you're at work today, what I think you need to do is to try to get closer to having code that you could release. Um, but I'm afraid that it also will come down to what you need to do tonight, um, which is that you need to find at least a few minutes to to find a way to up your game. And whether that means to read a book or to find something on the web, or to find a bunch of other insurance miners who would like to get together on Saturday and, and really advance the programming, I don't know. But uh, you, you can't wait for somebody else to help you get better, you've got to go out and seek out ways. And that won't be easy, but I don't see any other way out of it. I
4: think I might say that a little bit different way, which is that that the good news is there's stuff that you don't know yet that can make your life better. And so that just means you have to go find a few of those things. Uh, and the fact that you don't know them is good. Because if you knew them, well, there's nothing to do. There's no place to go if you know them all. But there's a whole world of stuff out there that would make your life better. Uh, we're finding stuff that makes our lives better. Uh, and that's why we still go places and talk to people and, and hope that they can teach us new things. And, and that kind of keeps us in, uh, interested in all this stuff.
0: Well, it's been wonderful talking to you both. It's been really interesting conversation for me. I, I could talk to you all night, but um, I think we ought to we ought to call it a day now for the for the listeners' sake. Um, thanks ever so much for having us for for uh, for being with us. Um, goodbye. Should we all just say goodbye? goodbye. Bye. Bye.
3: Goodbye. Bye. Thank you so much. for It was a good chat.